Guys, thank you. All right. Well, thank you, guys. That was great. You guys can take a seat. Uh, and everyone else, uh, just a quick show of hands. How many of you uh, would have the great title of saying in your life today that you have never, ever, ever been stung by a bee or a wasp? Okay, one or two. All right. All right. Well, I want to tell you a quick story before we get started today. Um, uh, when I was 17 years old, I, I went 17 years in my life without ever being stung by a wasp or a bee. And uh, where I grew up, we had this park called Green Timbers Park. It was an urban forest. There was kilometers and kilometers and kilometers of trail. And I used it to cut through, to get to school, to get to church, to get everywhere I went. And one day I was walking with my best friend and uh, we came across a broken wasp nest, all right? And uh, I know it had only been there for a couple hours because I was, I rocked the, uh, that same path a couple of hours earlier, it wasn't there. And we stopped and we were like, okay, there's a middle, of, uh, there's a broken wasp nest in the middle of the field. And I turned to my best friend, being 17 and all wise and all knowing, and I said, I bet you I can run through the middle of that wasp nest and not get stung, right? <clears throat> so we made our usual bet, which was a Big Mac and the McDonald's. So I got ready, I got into sprinting position, not never knowing what it was meant to feel like being stung by a bee or anything, and I beelined it, <laughs> no pun intended, right through the middle of the wasp nest. And I made it three feet before I fell flat on the ground and uh, I was stung by a number of wasps. Today we are talking about how to make wise decisions and not make decisions like that. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at uh, verse 15 all the way down to 20 this morning. And uh, I, love, I don't know if the clicker works. Let me see if the clicker, the clicker does not work. So you will have to, oh, is that me? Yeah, that. That will have to be you, so you have to follow along with me, all right? This is the Word of God. This is what it says. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we're thankful that your word gives us instruction for how to live our lives. We're thankful that your word, especially Ephesians, has told us that our identity is given to us by grace and not something that we have achieved or wanted to be what we've, we've worked for, but it is something that you've given because you love us, that you've identified our value and worth, and therefore that identifies how we spend our time. As we look at your passage today, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need to convict us and move where we need to move. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, so what is this passage about? Well, simply put, this passage is saying that in order to live a wise life, 
you and I need to make the best use of the time that is given to us. And then it gives four applications as to why you and or how you and I are to make the best use of the time. That's the idea. Is that God is saying to us, listen, I want you to be wise because I am wise. Remember how we started verse uh, chapter 5? Is that chapter 5 starts out saying, therefore, be imitators of God. And so we went through and, uh, uh, and everything that is given in the chapter is saying, hey, I want you to imitate God and I want you to walk in love. So, for example... Verse 3 to 6 tells us how to imitate God in his purity. Verses 7 to 14 uh, talk about following God's example as being light. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That God is good, that God is right, and that God is true. And now we're at verses 15 to 20 that talks about the idea of, hey, I want you to imitate the fact or follow God's example as what as why was wise. Right? And the Bible places a huge value and wisdom. If you look at the Proverbs, I think it's maybe the sixth or seventh proverb thing. Uh, per, wisdom is personified as a as a person who, has, who says that before the foundations of the world were laid, I was there. So God creates the world with wisdom in mind. And what is wisdom? Well, I think I think Paige said said. Beautifully, It's actually not the knowledge that you have, it's the decisions that you make with the knowledge. It's an, an, the, the best definition of wisdom that I can give you today is that wisdom is just good judgment. Someone used to describe it this way, is that wisdom is the skill in living your life well. Okay? And there's an entire book in the Bible based on it. And what the Bible is saying to us this morning, right? If that you and I want to mimic the wisdom of God, then you and I better pay very careful attention to how much time or what we spend our time on. God cares about our time, and I've often wondered this. Why on earth would God care about our time? Like, if, if God comes to us and says, listen, like, I want you to live right, I want you to live a righteous life, and I don't want you to sin. As long as I am doing that, as long as I am making the right decisions, why would God care about however else I spend my time? And the answer to that simply is in the verse. Follow along with me. It says this. Look carefully then at how you live, walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time, because why? The days are evil. Well, what does that mean? It means that the age that you and I live in is broken. Our culture spends, uh, is a broken culture. I don't think I have to make a big argument for that. I think we're all convinced, no, convinced of that in some degree. But because our culture is broken and our world around us are broken, our culture tends to spend time on values that are not healthy. And an unwise person, and it's unwise for us to take the limited time that we have been given and spend it on priorities and values that actually wind up destroying our lives. 
You see, friends, here's what I'm going to tell you about any commandment that you read in the Bible. Whenever you come to a commandment of God, whether it's this one or anything in Ephesians or anything else in the Bible, sometimes what happens is I read it and there's this pushback that I have in my heart against it because somehow I think that it's oppressive. Somehow I think that God is trying to destroy me. God is out to, he's, he's out to steal my fun. He's out to destroy my life. But I can tell you, for certainty that there's not one commandment that God is asking us to do that is actually not for your benefit. And so God actually wants us to spend our time on things that breathe life into us. Because the culture around the days are evil, the day in which we live are evil, what we spend our, what the culture value is can, and spend their time is can be unwise, and we must be careful to do, do that. So what do we spend our time on that isn't wise? That's a good question. What values, do, uh, <clears throat> what, what values do you and I spend our discretionary time that actually could destroy our lives, destroy our careers, destroy our families? What would they be? Well, if I had an entire afternoon, I could probably list off a bunch, but the top four that I came up with are this is that we spend too much time trying to win the approval of others. We spend too much time trying to be financially independent. We, too much time, we spend too much time on our comfort, and we try to spend too much time proving that I'm right. So let me explain what I mean by this. When I say that we're spending too much time uh, trying to look good in the eyes of others, I mean that the decisions that we make, are mo- a lot of us spend our time trying to win people's approval in our lives. This shows up in our competence at work. So I want to be successful. I want people to know that I'm good at my job. So I'm willing to spend more hours than what is necessary in order to know, for you to know that I am a good teacher or I am a good lawyer or I am a good farmer or I'm whatever you do to make a living. It also shows up in really weird places too. I had a friend of mine uh, that was really skinny and, you know, quote, it's not me, but it's kind of a wimp right, uh, in high school, and he got picked on quite a bit, but then I met him about uh, 10, 15 years later, and he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was huge, he was like, dude, you were so skinny, what happened, he said, Dan, here's what I did, I got picked on so much in high school, that I decided that I would work out every day, three times a day, for, the, for, for like six years, three times a day, yeah, Really? You have time for that? Yeah. Why do you do that? Because I want to look like I have muscles. Why do you want the muscles? Do do they help you at work? No. Why do you have them? And he said this. Because because when I was a kid, I felt small and timid. And now I want those same people to feel the way that I did. That is a waste of time. Not that exercising is, is wrong. But those guys don't even care about what you do with your body. They're halfway around the world. Right? We spend too much time trying to win the approval of others and then wind up spending time, and that can destroy our lives. We spend too much time in our lives trying to be financially independent. Is it wrong to want to carry your own, to want to pay your bills and all that? Absolutely not. But there's, there's, there's another level where 
being financially independent means that I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And the problem with that is that God has designed you and I to be dependent on Him for our needs and to be interdependent on each other. So if you spend so much time, your 24-hour day, trying to make sure that, you know, not only do you have enough money to live, but you have enough money that you don't ever have to worry, you're actually taking time away from God, from ministry, from pouring into people. It can actually be a very bad thing. Or we spend too much time on our comfort. We want nice things. And I want what others, and I want what others appear to make them happy. And... The, so what's the problem with spending time to get nice things and enjoying life a little bit? Well, there are two problems. Number one, a lot of these cravings for comfort or pleasures others enjoy are simply an expression of our jealousy of them. And secondly, while God has given us many things to enjoy in this world, and he does want us to enjoy them, Many of us actually live our lives for these pleasures, like our lives are defined by them. Ultimately, the greater problem is that living for comfort and pleasure can hurt others and hurt you because we are actually living for ourselves. And yet we would continue to say that God is the most important thing that we spend our time on. Or we try to spend our time proving that I was right. This one is tricky. I want, I want you to explain. Well, let, me, let me illustrate this with a story. Nathan was a 14-year-old boy whose dad was a pastor and whose mom was, quote-unquote, a ministry widow. She never complained about the long evenings alone while the boy's father was out late at night at another church meeting. But that actually didn't stop the loneliness the wife experienced. One day in the kitchen, Nathan's mother said something to him about being careful never to put ministry before his family. And here's what Nathan did. Nathan made a lifelong guiding decision, or what I would say was an inner vow, to say, I will never enter ministry. I will be faithful, I will be a faithful husband, and my family will come first before church, no matter what, a God himself could not get me into ministry. Nathan grew up, and whether he consciously or subconsciously did it, he chose a vocation that would allow him to be home with his, with his family. His father, however, wanted him to pursue a career in ministry, which only cemented his resolve to keep his commitment to stay out of ministry. I'm going to prove you wrong, Dad. So a question is it wrong to make your family a priority like this? What do you think? No. Of course it's not wrong. But it's his motive for doing so. With his own mo mouth, his motive was to protect his mother and frustrate his father. If Nathan thought about it, he would find that he lived a large portion of his, spent a large portion of his time trying to win an argument with his father. To try to prove what is right. Again, it, it's, it's not what he was doing, it was why he was doing it. And so that, that's what I'm saying is that you and I can spend our time, the Bible talks about this idea that the days are evil, and that we put our value and time into things that actually can destroy our lives, things like pleasure, things like trying to prove I'm, I'm going to win the argument, things like trying to make sure that I don't need to depend on anybody, even, even God himself, and all those things can destroy our lives. 
should we spend our time on? Well, God's Word gives us four examples or four things that you can, you and I can do to spend our time wisely to make the best use of our time. And I'm going to throw a lot of application at you today. So what writing like when you go home you say what did you think of the service today and you're just like well it was good or you know at the end of it what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to be able to just turn to each other and say the change that I'm going to make in my life because of what the word says will be this because I'm going to give you some very practical ways to do it so four ways that you can be wise with your time you ready for this everyone take notes <laughs> okay number one carefully at how you spend your time, okay? This comes from verse 15, verse, uh, verse 15. Look carefully then as you walk, not as one wise, but as wise. Let me do a, just a quick exegesis on this. The word carefully actually means that, the, what, that something is to be done that we pay close attention to. In other words, we're supposed to examine it. We're supposed to uh, test it. We're supposed to review it. We're supposed to look carefully at, at how we walk. Okay? And the idea of look, the, the, the word look there, it actually, the best way to describe that is urgent. So it's actually saying to you, I examine how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Okay? So what I am going to say to you is that the best, a really good starting place for you and I to decide how we spend our time is just examine how you and I spend your time. Have you ever done that? Because I believe that most of us, what you and I do is we get up in the morning and we have our to-do list and we just go through the to-do list and we don't actually think about whether or not what we are spending our time on is a good use or the best use of the time, particularly our discretionary time. Okay? Because that time that's devoted to work or school, that's actually, unless you're your own boss or you're homeschooled, that's actually time that someone else controls, right? You can't control the shifts that you take. You can't control when school starts, all that kind of thing. But you can control what you do with the free time that you do have. Okay? Do, have you examined it? I want to give you a, a really a, a poignant illustration of this just so you can understand what, how important it is. So you see, friends, time or how you spend your time because because time is something that you can't get back if you waste it, what you spend your time on, particularly your discretionary time, reveals to you what you actually think is important. So here's how this worked out in my life. Okay? So a year ago, I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm still a senior pastor. I, so I need someone to coach me along, and I got a coach. I got a senior pastor who was a coach. And he, and he said, and I asked him, okay, train me how to be a good senior pastor. A man who needs a good senior pastor, help me become a senior pastor. So that's what he did. And he said, the first thing we're going to do is I want you to make a schedule, a six-month schedule. And I want you to write down every appointment and everything, uh, every appointment, every coffee and every lunch you're going to do for six months straight. Boom. And I, all I want you to do is when you get up in the morning, you're going to work the schedule. Boom, boom, boom. So I actually know who I'm going to take out to lunch six months from now. Huh? I actually know that. It was pretty cool. But anyway, so I gave it to him and I said, here's, 
here's what I'm spending my time on. I'm spending this much time on visitation. I'm spending this much time here, and, and I'm spending this much time getting sermon prep and all that kind of thing. And he, he looked at me and he said, I'm very concerned about how you're spending your time. Is your marriage okay? Well, yeah, it's fine. I think it's awful. Well, how could you do that? We haven't even talked about it. I'm looking at your schedule, and you have not made one, you haven't even made a single hour to spend with your wife. I realized that. And I didn't realize it until, until I examined how I spend my time. And I realized that Liz felt like she had not been seen or heard from me for a while, so I had to make a change. If my marriage is important, I need to spend time on it. So what I do now is I actually take Mondays, I actually line my day off to be with her day off, and we spend the whole day together. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't actually examine how I spend my time. And I'm just asking, I think it would be a great idea for you to do it. So quick exercise for you if you want to hit the next slide. Um, just in your mind right now, if you want to take a piece of pen and paper, I just want you to write down the top five priorities in your life. What are the top five things that you think are the most important, right? So they can be your relationship with God, they can be your family, they can be work. What are the most important things in your life, okay? It'd be Star Wars, like, I, I don't know what it is. Just pick the top five things in your life that are important to you, that you really want to be important. Next, I want you to look at your discretionary time. So that's the time, that your free time, where you're not doing anything, where you're not working, where you, have, where you get to decide what you do with it. I'm going to take a nap, I'm going to work in the garage, whatever you're going to do, okay? I want you to write down the top five things in order that you spend your discretionary time on. What do you do when you have free time? Remember what I said earlier, how you spend your time reveals what's important to you because you can't get wasted time back. It's not like lost money. If you lose money, you can recover your money. You can't recover your time. So that means that time is valuable and what you choose to do with it is valuable to you. So what I've effectively done for you is you want to hit the next slide here is what we have done is I've just shown you what your desired priorities are. What are the things in your life that you actually want to be important? And then the second list is your actual priorities. It's your day planner. Okay? Now according to scripture, the top two priorities in life should be your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Looking at your discretionary time, where does God fit in on the list? <clears throat> and then if you really, want to, you really want some examination, push yourself a little further and ask the question, if, the peop if I say that my family is important or that these people in my life are important, where exactly on that list do they fit? How you spend your time 
reveals what's important to you. Okay? Examine your time. Secondly, it says this. Spend time learning God's will for your life. Verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Every believer should spend time pursuing an even deeper knowledge of what the Lord's will is in everything when they do. And I think what that means is there's two, there's two kind of ways to describe God's will, right? First, when we talk about God's will, we tend, tend to talk about the decisions made. You know, what's God's will? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I, what decisions do I make? You know, all those kind of things. That, that's one sense in which we use God's will. And the other sense that which we use God's will is God's desire, how he wants us to live our life. So everything in the Bible, he says, this is how I want you to live, and this is how I want you to behave, and all that kind of thing. I think that when it's telling you to figure out what God's will is, it's in both senses, right? It's so that you and I should be spending enough time in the Word to know how to live in a general sense. And the second thing is we should be, we should be spending time bringing to the Lord the decisions in our lives because I know that He cares about it. Things like, you know, the financial decisions or, you know, dating or all those things. I really do believe that God cares about those decisions. I do. So here's, here's, here's a couple suggestions on how to live that out, right? So this, this is what I would do at least. So I would go to Copy and Crit, ask them to print out a big 10-foot calendar, 10-foot uh, long calendar or 12 months in the calendar, put it on your table, and I know that God's will is that at least I spend some of my time, one day a week, in Sabbath. So here's what I would do. I would take my calendar before I put all the activities on, the, uh, the, uh, all the work, all the seating, all the lambing, all, the, all, all these school activities, all the 4-H things, and anything that has to do, and I would put the rest and the vacation time on first, right? So I go, here's the day off, and 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 maybe we're going to go see the family here, and we'll take a vacation here, and we'll, we'll go here, and then you schedule in your work week. Right? Because here's what happens. Typically, you and I look at how we spend our time, and we do the work first. Okay? And then we look at the calendar and say, where's the time to take time off, to practice the Sabbath, to have a vacation? And then that doesn't happen, and then we squeeze. So what I would do is I would start with the work. Because the Bible says is that you are to work out of your rest. Okay? That you are to spend enough time on the Sabbath to recharge your batteries enough for you to work during the week. Okay, So rest first. And then where the rest and the work collide, just move the rest. Right? So if you have to do something, if you're busy in this season, if there's two weeks of work here and you're like, well, I, gotta, I planned a vacation here, just move it over a little bit. Otherwise, it, you know, you don't have to do that. I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, it's God's... You, it's wise to spend your time doing God's will and you know that he takes the Sabbath seriously. So plan your time around the Sabbath. The second thing I would ask you to do is, is, is like I would ask you to, I would ask you to uh, pray through your to-do list. I don't, how many of you do devotions in the morning? Hands up if you do devotions in the morning. Okay. That's how my morning works is I get up, I walk the dog, I get breakfast, and I do devotions before the whole family gets up in the morning. But the problem with that is, in my mind, 
I'm starting to think about all the day's activities and what has to get done in the day. Does anyone have that problem when they're doing your devos, you're not focused? Okay, so here's what I've learned that's helpful, right? Is before I start reading the Bible and doing that for my devotionals, I write down everything that has to get done that day. Boom, 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 boom. And usually, if you're like me, I, you, you can't get the to-do list done in the day, right? So what I do is I just pray through the to-do list and I ask the Lord, Lord, there's so much stuff that I need to get done today. Can you just help me discern which things that I should be spending my time on, okay? And then I just highlight, you know, my best guess as to what. And then that way, when I have to pick up James at 3.30 or I have to uh, get dinner ready at 5.30 or all that, I don't feel bad that I've wasted the day because I've actually done the things that I feel like the Lord has called me. Figure, spend your time figuring out what the Lord's will is, how to live your life and how to make the decisions necessary. Thirdly, stay sober, Okay. Verse 18, it says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Getting drunk is like going to the doctor with a broken arm and being treated with morphine. (laughs) The drug will take the pain away and give you the illusion that it's not broken. You might even be able to use your broken arm for a while, but you will also hurt it even more, perhaps even permanently. And the danger with drunkenness is that it creates a euphoric feeling that takes the edge off the stress, the pain, the pain that we have, and we want to escape the pain, so we, we numb, we dull, and, and we relieve and soothe and comfort our pain in our lives with alcohol. And as long as we do this, we hinder and circumvent the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Because, you see, friends, I've said this before, pain is a gift from God because pain is God's way of telling us that something is hurting us, something is not right. And he's put that pain there for a purpose to let you know that maybe you've made a poor choice. And and when we focus on just getting rid of the pain, we actually, you know, numb something that God is actually trying to put a heart on, and we numb the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why it says, don't get drunk that leads to debauchery. Debauchery is defined as giving yourself over to sensuality, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? And I am nervous for a number of Christians because um, we have, because I believe that even though a number of us may not have a problem with drinking, we, you can attain the same effect with nicotine, codeine, caffeine, sleeping pills, prescription drugs, or illegal drugs, all of which are not in the Bible. Okay. And that actually points a bit, a bit of a problem because what I run into is I say, well, the Bible says I'm not getting drunk, but that means I can get high. That's not the, that's, friends, that's not the way it works. Do you see why we need wisdom? This is why we need wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit to to help us in this life. So let me just ask a quick question. Are you doing anything in your life to numb the pain that God has put there? So here's here's a question. What do you spend your time on when life gets difficult? When there is conflict in the home and when the stress is piling up, what do you turn to to escape pain and avoid conflict? Do you turn to food? Do you turn to TV? Do you turn to your phone? Do you turn to... to nicotine or caffeine, what do you turn to? To escape the pain and avoid conflict. 
Because whatever your answer to that question is, I bet you that that's an area of your life that God wants to help and heal. But you're not allowing him because you're numbing the pain. Stay sober. Lastly, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Sing. Verse 19. Uh, let, me, let me go back. But be filled with the Spirit and address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord. Okay? Here's what I'm going to say about this, and then we'll finish up here. You can't be a wise person without, without the celebration of God is a central part of how you spend your time. Because singing is God's chosen method to help get the word to dwell in you. Now, um, let me just, I know we're all hot, but let me just do a quick theology of worship, and then I'll let you go. And why singing is important, because I think sometimes we undermine singing. What is worship? Well, worship essentially is this, is that you are using your mind, your will, and your emotions to directly communicate to God His glory. It's ascribing worth to God. Psalms 96 says, Ascribe and worship to God, ascribe, uh, ascribe to God His praise and worship. Well, worship is at its core just simply ascribing worth to God. And we tend to do this one of two ways in church. There's an indirect method and there's a direct method of doing. So you've probably heard at church that worship is more than singing, right? Everyone hands up. You've heard that before? Yeah? Everyone agree with that? Yes, it's true. Worship is just more than singing, right? The Word of God says, uh, uh, you want to hit the next slide, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, right? So you might have heard that making a meal or doing your homework is, is giving God glory, is worshiping God, and that's true. But that's an indirect way of doing it because in the moment, when I'm driving or washing the car, I'm not actually thinking about God's glory. I'm thinking about how that smudge mark got on my car, right? Or when you're in the harvester, I, you, might be, you might be thinking about God's glory, but I guarantee you, you're just trying to think about getting the yield, right? But then there's another way that God, the word worship is used in the Bible, and that is that people, it's an activity where you are directly talking to God about his glory and his worth. And we can do that in a number of ways. We could pray, there's liturgy. But singing is got one of God's ways that he does this. Listen to what God's word says about this. I don't think you can make swinging an elective. Psalms 95 verse 1 and 2, O come, let us sing to the Lord, and let's make a joyful noise. Ephesians 5, 19 Address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Psalms 147.1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to what? Sing praises to God. Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and praising and listening to them. Zephaniah 3.7. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt with loud singing. Like... You guys get the idea, right? Because I have one, two, three, four slides of Bible verses that tell us to sing. Okay? 
Singing is important to God. And my, my point in this is this, is not to beat you over the head with Bible verses, but to simply point out one fact, and one fact in that is this, is that since the very first book of the Bible, singing is one of the chosen methods that the people of God have used to worship the Lord. It's been it's throughout the entire Bible, past cultures in every continent, through every generation. It's been there since day one. And here's what I wanna here's what I wanna say with this. I I don't think that singing is optional for us as a church. Okay? Now, no one at church is gonna be the singing police, right? Where I'm gonna say, well, are you singing or are you not singing? There might be justifiable reasons why you don't. You might not understand the lyrics. Maybe there's a song that you theologically disagree with. Maybe English is a second language for you. Maybe the key's too high. Whatever it is. But I think what it means for us is that when you and I come to church, and I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I've come to church and I don't feel like being at church. True or false? Okay? And I don't feel like singing. (laughs) And I think what this means for us as a church is whether you don't get to bow out because you quote-unquote don't feel like it, right? That's not how it works. Like, again, there's grace in this. I'm not going to go around going, you're not singing, you're not singing. That's just, that's, that's not fair. But my point is, is I don't think scripture, the, the pattern in scripture for worship, I don't think allows us to make singing an elective. We sing, okay? And I think, too, if you're a worship leader, what that means too is that when you're leading worship here at church, I think what that means is that you should lead us in a way where we're expected to sing. Right? Expect the church to sing. Okay. So then the question then is why if, if the Bible says that singing is not an option or that for believers, why does God choose singing? And I believe that Colossians chapter 3 verse th- Uh, 3 verse 16 answers this question. And it says this, Let the word of the Lord dwell in you, what? Richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Doing what? Singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. I believe that God created the act of singing so that the word of God would dwell in you richly. Okay? When we sing, especially when we sing so that the word dwells inside our souls. In his sovereignty, God has made music to express what is, what is in our hearts. I think the church needs to understand that singing is the way that God has chosen, at least one of the methods that God has chosen, to get the word from your head into your heart. Which means this. It means this. It's like, I'm... When we come to church and we sing songs, it's not just that we sing songs at church. It's that we sing together outside of church and we sing, sing it individually. Let's go back to Ephesians and what does it say? It says, sing songs to each other and in your heart. Okay? I believe that means that we should be singing together and we should be singing on our own. And here's what I think that looks like. I, I think that 
That means is we want people to take the songs that they hear in church that we sing in the word and sing them in the car or around the table and when they tuck their children into bed or when they're around the campfire of the family at the family barbecue. We want to give uh, a group of believers the ability to praise God and have a way for the for the word of God to dwell inside of them. Okay? That's why God says. You know, if you want to make a good use of your time, sing, worship, right? Again, worship is more than just singing. I get that, but it's important. It's important to God because it's his way of getting the word from your head to your heart. Well, what kinds of songs should be sung? Well, the passage tells us that there are three songs, three types of songs, and for time's sake, I'm just going to give you my best definition of it. There are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what I think that means, I think that psalms actually refer to the actual psalms in the Bible. Psalms are actual songs that are sung and put to music, and I think it would be a great way to do it. My favorite one is Psalms 136. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. That's a great worship song. Hymns are songs with doctrinal convictions. Songs that we use to teach each other about the great truths of Scripture. And spiritual songs are the ones that stir us and yearn us and encourage us to praise God more by worshiping Him more. And I think that we need all three kinds of songs in church. And I'm going to leave it at that because we need some time. But my, my point is this, is, is, is that you will never waste your time by worshiping the Lord, okay? And I, and through singing. So here, 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 you could try this as a suggestion. I think you should add singing to your devotional regimen. So why don't you get your Bible, get your favorite, stream your favorite playlist on Spotify or YouTube, or get your favorite CD or cassette or eight-track out if you still have those, Okay. <laughs> Okay, and you spend 15 to 20 minutes before you get in the word singing and worshiping and then read the word and see what difference it makes okay. you can even borrow the hymn book right borrow the church hymn book and say man I love these hymns these are great I'm going to bring them home and do it like, I think it would be really really good to do it I've been a part of many churches throughout my entire life and I've been part of lots of board meetings and AGMs and I've been in some doozy, tense ones. Have you ever been in tense AGM meetings, right? The ones that were the best handled were the ones that started the time with worship. And what I meant by that is not that they would do a quick prayer and do a quick song. What they would do is they would spend, uh, they would spend 45 minutes, maybe an hour, just in worship before they got to the business. And I know what you're all thinking, man, that would make our AGMs even longer. But the, you know what the crazy thing is? Because they spent their time doing it, the, the AGMs actually ended on time. <laughs> There's just a, the spirit, whatever tension was in the room when a business meeting was gone when the people focused on the Lord. Okay. And, I, and I, I haven't told Matt this, and I, I didn't tell the board this, but I think the board meeting should start a meeting like that. Okay. 20 minutes, 30 minutes of worship, and then we get right into it. And everyone's like, oh, Dan, they already go to 11.30. (laughs) Like, my point is, is that you, singing is a great, wise use of your time. So there you go. 
The Bible tells us to be wise with our time, to spend our time wisely, because God cares that the things you spend time on either bring life or death to you. And there are four ways that you can spend your time that you will never, ever, ever regret. Examine your nature time, knowing God's will, staying sober, and worshiping the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day today. Thank you for your goodness. We pray that as we spend our Sunday afternoons, you would move in our place, move in our lives today, and we will glorify you with the time that we spend. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks, uh, Dan, for introducing our last song. And the one, one-